Turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We're continuing our study on, on why. And because of the nature of these messages, I've never preached a series of messages like this before. But because of the nature of these messages, there's usually many reasons. So you say, why do this? And there are many reasons, and they're found in the Scripture. And so this morning's message has ten reasons. You wouldn't normally preach a message with ten points, but uh, a homiletics professor would never tell you to do that. And, uh, but uh, you, you preach a message with ten points. I remember one time I was preaching at a place where Dr. Lee Robertson was. And I had the privilege of preaching ahead of him. I don't know if that's a privilege or not. But uh, Dr. Lee Robertson came up to me afterwards and he says, how many points did you have in that message? (laughs) And I believe that message had nine or ten points. (laughs) I felt a little embarrassed, you know, because this guy had taught all kinds of preachers to preach and everything. But uh, I make no apology this morning. There's a lot of points to the message. I did make out, out an outline. Did everyone get a bulletin? Anybody need a bulletin? And we're outlined, and you can write down some of the notes there if, if you like. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witness unto, unto me, both in, in, in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, we approach a subject today that all of us need. I must admit, Lord, that I was convicted myself as I prepared for the message and saw from your scriptures the reasons why we should be witnesses for you. I pray that you would help all of us to take it to heart. And Lord, just, just use this message to make us more effective, uh, more ready uh, witnesses to Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we might be faithful witnesses who tell other people the gospel and what Jesus can do for them. Give enablement to bring the message. Accomplish your will through it, and if there's one here today who has never yet trusted Jesus, I pray that today they will trust you. We ask in his name, amen. In the passage we just read, Jesus said to his disciples that they were to be his witnesses. In verse 8, he says, ye shall be witnesses unto me. A witness is one who asserts with confidence what he has seen, what he has heard, or what he knows. The Greek word translated witness is in the New Testament is martis. From that word, we get our English word martyr, or one who bears witness by his death. Of course, not all witnesses of Jesus become martyrs. Very few of them do. But all believers are to be those who assert with confidence what they know about the Lord Jesus Christ. We who are believers have heard the gospel. The gospel is the, the good news about the death of Jesus for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection from the grave. If you leave out the resurrection, you have not properly presented the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He not only died, he arose. And then he was seen of many witnesses as proof that he was alive. We who are believers heard that message. Not only did we hear it, what we be, but we believed the gospel 
And when we believed the gospel, we were saved by Jesus. And we know how important it is for other people to hear that message and also trust Jesus as their Savior. So with confidence, we tell about the Lord Jesus. We do it with confidence. He has saved us, and we know he can save them. And we know the message is true, so we share that message. In verse 8, it makes it clear that our responsibility as Christians is to be a witness for Jesus. We are to witness for him in our, in our hometown, it says Jerusalem, in our state, in Judea, in other states, Samaria, and then unto the uttermost parts of the world, which means all around the world. Everywhere we go, we are to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Most of us have had the privilege of being a witness in our hometown. Most of us have had the privilege, I think, of being a witness in our state. You probably know somebody that's not from this locality that you've witnessed to in some way. Maybe you've witnessed in other states, like, as he says, Samaria. And that was outside of Judea, and they didn't like Samaritans. But then he says, the uttermost parts of the world, if you, have, if you give to missions, then you, are, you have a part in that, of sending the word to uttermost parts of the world through our missionaries. And so we are to be witnesses wherever we go. I believe we all understand that we have the responsibility to be a witness for Jesus. So this morning I want us to examine the reasons that form an answer to that question. Why witness for Jesus? And I want to give you several reasons, and you can write them down if you would like. The first one is this, because God tells us to witness for Jesus. Like all the other things of why, it, one of the things is God tells us to do it, the great reason. He says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You can't much, get much clearer than that. We are commanded to do it. Acts chapter 1, ye shall be witnesses. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you in those days, uh, they were, the, the Holy Spirit, the church was just beginning, and so the Holy Spirit would come at Pentecost, and they were to be witnesses. Since that time, everyone who is saved receives the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us, and so because we have the Holy Spirit, we are to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and he's committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And now then we are ambassadors for Christ, and we go out and tell other people, be ye reconciled to God. And the only way they do that is to trust Jesus. So you tell them about Jesus, and God tells us where to do that. In Philippians chapter 2, he said Son, that we are sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom we shine as lights of the world, holding forth the word of life. So we as believers are hold forth the word of life. We are to tell people about Jesus. God wants us to be a witness. That's the only reason we really need, but there are others as well in the Bible. Let me give you another reason. Secondly, because God has equipped us to be his witnesses. God has equipped us to be a witness for Jesus. He's given us what we need to be a witness. Now, he's given us the gospel. You couldn't be a witness unless you had the gospel, unless you had the message about Jesus. So God gives us the message. He gives us the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, I've received... And then I've given it to you, and that is the gospel, how that Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture, and he was seen of many witnesses. He said, I gave you this gospel, and so we have the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, we have this treasure. And right before the verses before, he's talking about the glorious gospel. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So we who know Jesus have the gospel. We've been equipped to be a witness because we have the message, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, we have what it takes to share that gospel as far as physically is concerned. Every one of you here today have something that's very obvious, and that is you have a body. You have a body, and the body is needed to share the gospel. God gives us a brain so we understand the gospel. And he, so we can read it. He gives us a, a body so it's capable, we're capable of going somewhere to taking the gospel to somebody. He's given us a mouth so we can speak the gospel. And as he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in a, in a body. We have a body. But also God's given us his Holy Spirit. 
And that's the, that's the clincher. That's the, one, that's the thing that's most important is for the Lord to give us the Holy Spirit. And we must have him if we're going to be an effective witness. And so he gives us the power to do it. As it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you will be witnesses. So you have the Spirit of God to help you to be a witness for Jesus. We should be a witness because God has equipped us to do what he tells us to do. In, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, told the disciples, tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. On high. You stay in Jerusalem until I give you the Holy Spirit so you can have the power to do what I tell you to do, and that is to be a witness for me. Let's liken it unto you getting, buying, purchasing a brand new car. You buy, buy a brand new car and you put the money for it, down for it, and you go out into the parking lot of the, of the dealer and you get your brand new car. And you say, boy, that looks a, that's a pretty looking car. I really like that. I've always wanted one like that. And you stand there and look at it. After you look at it for a while, you sit inside. And you sit in the seat. And you're there for hours. And the, the dealer comes out and he says, what's wrong, sir? Uh, why haven't you taken your car? And you look at him with a puzzled look. And he says, you've got to start the engine. <laughs> There's power in this car, but you've got to start the engine. That's the way we are as believers. We've been saved. God's given us the gospel. He's given us the body, like the car. You know, it can go places and do things. But there must be power, and you've got to start the engine. Well, the Lord says you already have the engine inside and the power that's needed to be a witness, and that's the Lord. That's the, the Holy Spirit. But you must yield to him. You must obey him. You must let him take charge. You must yield to the Spirit of God. So we have the equipment. God has equipped us to be a witness. So we should be a witness for Jesus. Let me give you another reason. We should be a witness for Jesus because Jesus is the only Savior for man. He's the only Savior for man. In other words, we're facing a lost humanity, and they need the Lord Jesus, and He is the only one that can save them. They're on their road to hell. And he is the absolute only one that can save them from an eternity in hell. And we have the answer. We can tell them about him. We know the gospel. We know what they must believe. We know what it takes for them to get to heaven. And he is the absolute only way for them to go to heaven. And so we should be witnesses because we have the cure. And, and there is no other cure. It's Jesus. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I've told you before this illustration, but I think it bears in this message as well. I remember years ago I was visiting a person in the hospital in West Virginia. This lady was a believer, and her daughter came to visit her while I was, while I was there, and she was telling me about how all of her world travels. She had been to Japan and some other places, and then she told me this. She said, you know, I found out that these people with these other religions are very, they're, they're very uh, sincere. They're so sincere in their religion. And I just believe that if they're sincere, it's all right. And I said, ma'am, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? She said, oh, yes. I said, do you believe he tells the truth? Sure, he tells the truth. I said, let me read you something. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, ma'am, Jesus is either a liar, that's either the, he's the only way or he's a liar. Now, if you believe there's other ways, if you believe these people will go to heaven because they're sincere, then you've said that Jesus told a lie. I don't remember what her response was, but that was that was. Uh, firm answer, you know, there is no other way. So we should be a witness because we have the way. We know the way. We know him. He is our savior and we should tell others about him. Galatians chapter or four, 1 verse 9 says, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. It's so important that if you preach any other way to heaven, the Lord says, let you that person be accursed. 
Acts 4, verse 12, See, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is only one way to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that, that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only way. And you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? He says, I am the door. I am the door. The door to heaven. The door to eternal life. If any man enter, he shall be saved. But I am the only door. He's the only way to heaven. So we should be witnesses because Jesus is the only Savior. And so we should tell others about him. But then there's another reason. We should be witnesses for Jesus because God only uses people to share the news, the good news of the gospel. God uses people. Now, I know God uses his word, but let me reason with you. The word of God came to us by God using people. God used people. Paul said, I received of the Lord and I delivered unto you. What? The gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so God uses people to bring the message to other people. God does not call angels to bring the message. It would be nice if we could sit in our church and hear all about it and know that after we leave, well, the angels are going to be busy. They're going to be out there sharing the gospel with everybody. And we can't go everywhere, but they can at lightning speed. And they're just going all over the world sharing the gospel. It's not happening. There's one way that God uses to, to take the gospel to people, and that's, that's through, through other people. You might say, what about radio? Well, radio, it's a person telling it. TV, it's a person telling it. Uh, telephone, it's a person talking on the phone. Uh, texting, it's a purpose person doing the texting. Email, it's a person doing the email. Social media, it's a person doing that. God uses people to take the gospel. Now you say, does God ever use angels? Yes. In fact, the Bible tells us at the end of the tribulation in, in Revelation chapter 14, I think it's verse 6, the Lord says that he will use angels to share the, the gospel all around the world. The last minute, their last chance, God uses angels. But right now in the church age, he's not using angels, he's using people. And so we are to share the gospel because Jesus is the only Savior and he, God only uses people uh, to take the message around the world. The Bible says in, in, in Romans chapter 10, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We all know that verse, verse 13. But then it goes on th in some reasoning to, uh, with reasoning to us and says this, how shall, they how shall they hear? How shall they hear if they are, how shall they call if they have not believed? And how shall they believe if they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? In other words, God says, to get the gospel out to people, I need people. And so God says, you are a witness of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you are a witness. And you're either a bad witness or a good witness or a mediocre witness, but you are a witness. Are you doing what God tells you to do and sharing the gospel with other, other people? It's interesting, in Romans chapter 10, after going through that series, you know, uh, how shall they call if they haven't believed? How shall they believe if they haven't heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? And then he says this, How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good tidings of great joy. <laughs> how beautiful are your feet. So if you want to assure that you have beautiful feet, <laughs> as far as God's concerned, the Lord says, take the gospel to other people. Use your feet to take the gospel to other people. So the Lord says that he wants us to be witnesses because it's his plan to use people. And if we don't, then we've disobeyed the Lord, and so we must be a witness. Another reason is this, because everyone needs to hear about Jesus. You see, you cannot take the gospel to the wrong house. You can't do it. If you believed in, in uh, what's called uh, Calvinism or five-point Calvinism, you would believe that, there's, that uh, Jesus died only for the elect, only for a few, and that there are some people who can't be saved because the Lord's not going to save them, and so they can't be. And uh, I don't think the Bible teaches that. I believe the Bible teaches that God, God does, is not willing that any should perish. I believe the Bible tells us that God that Jesus died for the sins of the world, not just for certain people. He died for everyone. 
And the Bible tells us that whosoever will believe can be saved. So you can't take the gospel of the wrong person. And so the Lord says everyone needs to hear about Jesus. Everyone needs to hear about Jesus because everybody's a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. First Kings chapter 8, verse 46 says, says for, is that, for there is no man that sinneth not. Everybody is a sinner. Everyone without Jesus is condemned and they're perishing. The Bible says in, in John chapter 3, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So they're perishing and uh, God wants to keep them from, from perishing eternally as they go out into eternity. And verse 18 says, if they haven't believed on Jesus, they're already condemned. So we're taking the gospel to people who are already condemned and they're, they're going to perish and so everybody needs, needs Jesus because they're already condemned and they're going to perish. And Jesus died for all those people, everybody. Isaiah 53, says, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so everybody is a sinner. God says in John three seventeen, For God sent not his Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He, he came so the world could be saved. So everybody needs Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, For God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he died for sinners. So everybody is a sinner, and everybody needs, needs to know the Lord. Some will believe, but, uh, but, uh, everybody, they must, but they must hear first before they believe. It's illustrated in the parable of the sower. We find that in Matthew chapter 13. It says the sower went forth to sow, and he sowed the seed. And another gospel tells us the seed is the word. So he sows the word of God. He tells people the word of God, and some of it falls on the wayside. The wayside is a path that's beaten down from travel, and it's hardened. Some falls on the wayside. Then he says some falls on the stony ground, and some falls in the, among the thorns, and then some falls on the good ground. Now, in the, in the wayside, in the, in the pathway that's hardened, the devil comes and snatches the seed from that heart so they won't believe. That's the person who hears the gospel you tell them about and they're not interested in it. And uh, uh, they think about it maybe a little while, and then after you leave, after you quit sharing the gospel, the devil comes along and takes it out of their mind so they don't think about it anymore. And then there's the, the, the stony ground. The Bible says that it has no root. It sort of springs up, you know, they're interested in it and they think about it and they're really concerned and uh, convicted maybe about it, but uh, then it, because it has no root, it just withers away and it dies. And then he says there's the thorns. The thorns might have good ground under it, underneath it and the thorns are growing all right, but it, see, it chokes out that word. And the Bible describes it as it, 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 the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Oh, how many people are like that? They're so involved in everything in the world, they don't have time for Jesus. And you sow that seed to them, you tell them the gospel. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, money is more important. And the deceitfulness of riches crowds it out so that they won't listen to the word of God. But then the Lord says some of that seed falls on good ground. And the good ground, it springs up and it produces fruit. And uh, some tenfold, some a hundredfold, I mean, it just produces fruit because it's good ground. Now, the, the, one of the, the uh, lessons from that parable was this. Our responsibility is not to examine the ground. Our responsibility is to sow the seed. So we don't know what the ground is. We don't know the particular things about that person, whether it's going to crowd out the gospel or not. We don't know what it is. We don't know the ground, but we're to sow the seed. And it's up for the Lord, up to the Lord to, to make the seed uh, grow. And so if they won't let it happen because it's, the, it's a wayward path, a, a, a hard-trodden path, and it's hard ground, and they're not interested, and the devil easily comes and snatches it out. And we don't know that. We don't know if it's stony ground or if it's thorny ground. But God knows, and God says, you sow the seed, and some of it's going to fall on good ground, and it will produce fruit. And so our responsibility is to sow the seed, and some will believe. You remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul was thinking about where he was going to go and preach. And he had a vision that said in chapter 16, verse 9, there was a man of Macedonia that said, come over into Macedonia and help us. 
You see, there's some people out there who are looking for an answer. They, they're so distraught with life, and they're so upset with sin, and they don't know what to do, and you bring them the gospel. And it might be that person that you run into, you can just tell they're, they're down, down and, and they're discouraged, and they don't have a smile on their face, and they're a little bit angry and all of that, and you know they need Jesus. And it might be when you sow that seed, that person might be the one in their heart saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Some people want to know. And so we sow the seed, and that seed will sometimes fall on that good ground, and it will bring forth light. We cannot take the gospel to the wrong person, remember? And because everyone needs to hear, everyone needs to be saved, so we need to take the gospel because some will believe and some will receive the Lord. And then there's another reason, the sixth reason, why we should witness for Jesus. Because God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. We should remember that when we share the gospel. God is not willing that any should perish. Sometimes we share the gospel with people who seem like they're such a bad sinner. I mean, I don't know if God can rescue this soul or not. I mean, their life is so messed up. How could anybody straighten that out? God says, is there anything too hard for me? Yeah, God can do it. God can straighten that person out because we know this. God is not willing for that down-and-out sinner who's done everything you could think about, who doesn't deserve heaven like we don't deserve heaven. And God can take that person and he can save them because God is not willing that they should perish. But there's something between God's not willing they should perish and they come to know Jesus. And guess what that is? It's you and it's me. We have to take them the gospel. They can't be saved. They can't come to know Jesus. They can't have their life changed unless they hear the gospel. And so we are witnesses to share that gospel. And God is not willing that any should perish. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. God loved them that he gave. I mean, he gave the most precious gift, the greatest gift. He gave to the world because he's not willing that any should perish. John three seventeen that the world through him might be saved. He didn't get come to condemn them. He come, came to save them. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Before you're saved, you must come to the place where you realize you're a sinner, and you repent of that, and you turn in faith to trust Jesus. And God's not willing that any should perish, and uh, he wants us to come to repentance. In Revelation 20, uh, 22, the last part of the, of the Bible it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that is of thirst come. And right at the end of the Bible, the Lord gives that last invitation because he's not willing that any should perish. He says, come. If you're thirsty, come. Come. And the Lord wants to save you. So we need to take the gospel to, and tell people about Jesus because God's not willing that any should perish. But then there's another reason. And that is because of the cry from hell. You say, Pastor, what's that? The cry from hell. Luke chapter 16 tells the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the Bible says that the rich man fared sumptuously every day, and Lazarus was a beggar at, that is, at his gate, and he had sores all over him. And he just he longed for some of the crumbs, you know, from the rich man. And yet that man who had such bad breaks in his life knew Jesus, or he trusted God. The rich man, he had everything, but he didn't trust God. And the Bible said they died. Evidently, they died all about, right about the same time. The rich man died, and immediately he lifted up his eyes in hell and tormented in the flame and begging for one drop of water to cool his tongue. The one who before was able just to click his fingers, I can't do that anymore, by the way. <laughs> I guess it's arthritis. I can't click my fingers. But he, if he could click his fingers, you know, he would say, bring me something to drink. I'd like a steak tonight. Whatever he wanted, he could have. He fared sumptuously every day. The beggar just hoped for something to eat. And then he died and the tables changed. And the rich man is burning in hell. And Lazarus, who knew the Lord, is... In Abraham's bosom, the place of rest. 
and he's comforted, and the rich man is sorrowing. And guess what the rich, rich man requested? He requested two things. He requested a drop of water to cool his tongue. Not a glass, I mean just a drop. I mean, if I can't have it, just a drop to cool my tongue. And then there's one other thing he asked. And he says, I want you to send somebody back from here to talk to my five brothers so they won't come here. And then the Lord Abraham told him an interesting thing. He said, well, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that nobody here can go to you or, or nobody can go to, to there. And he says, so nobody's going to go from here to go tell your brothers. And he said this, but your brothers have the word of God. And somebody will tell them the word of God and they believe it. They don't have to come to this place. And they don't have to experience this. And he says, no, if somebody would come from the dead, I mean something supernatural, something spectacular, if somebody would come from the dead, they know this person died, and here they are, and they're talking to them, they would believe them. And and Abraham says this, no, they won't. If they won't believe what is written, they won't believe when someone comes from the dead. What does that say to us? Don't expect some supernatural thing to reach your loved one. God says, you are the one. I am the one. We are to take the message. Why? Because there's a cry from hell. The rich man is the only one the Lord tells about. But don't you believe there are others there that you knew, maybe loved ones that you had, maybe your dad, maybe your mom, and you said, I can't even stand the thoughts of going to hell. And and I had people say, oh, I don't want to go to heaven if they're not there. Oh, yes, you do. (laughs) Because they don't want you to come there. And I imagine there are many people just just, uh, longing for somebody up there on earth to tell their loved ones about Jesus so they won't go there. So there's the cry from hell that tells us we need to be a witness for Jesus. And God says we're to do that. And then also there's another reason. Because one day we will give an account of our lives before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible tells in three passages about the judgment seat of Christ. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, Let every man take heed how he builds upon the foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So if you're saved, you're building a life upon that foundation. You've trusted Jesus. He put you on the solid rock, and you're living for him. And so how you live for the Lord will be examined one day, and it will be at the judgment seat of Christ. And your works will come up before the Lord, and some will be likened to wood, hay, and stubble. And the, I think the eyes of the Lord are the flame that, uh, that examines us that day. And they're just burnt up. But then there's some things you do for the Lord that are real precious. I mean, you did it sincerely because you loved the Lord, because you wanted to obey the Lord, and you did that. And one of them would be witnessing. And the Lord said, that's gold, silver, and precious stones, and it will withstand the test and the result of that, you'll receive a reward for that. The Bible also tells us in, in, uh, in uh, let's, another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in Romans chapter 14, it says the same thing. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, we're going to stand before Jesus as Christians. After we leave this life and go to heaven, after that rapture, when the Lord takes us all home, then up in heaven, while the earth's going through the tribulation period, up in heaven, we'll be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. It might take a while because there's a lot, a lot of people who know Jesus throughout all the ages, and they stand before Jesus, and individually we've given an account of our life to him. And if we have had the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all Christians do, and uh, we truly say we know the Lord, we know about the gospel, and we have not shared it, don't you think that God will hold us accountable for that? I mean, just knowing that we're going to give an account one day. Turn with me in your Bibles to an Old Testament passage back in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33, you probably remember this passage, but let's look at it together. Ezekiel 33 verse 7. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. 
Therefore thou shalt hear the word of, at my mouth and warn them before me. So the Lord's telling Ezekiel, look, I've set you a watchman over the house of Israel, and you need to warn them. When I say for, unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, because his blood will I require at thy, but, but his blood will I require at thy hand. I've had people say, you know, people went to hell because of me. No, they didn't. Nobody went to hell because of you. The Lord says that wicked man will die in his wickedness because of his wickedness, because he didn't accept the Lord. But the Lord says, but his blood will I require at your hand. You were responsible to take him the message, the warning, but you didn't. Yeah, he'll die in his wickedness. It won't be because of you that he died. It's because of his sin that he died and because he won't trust Jesus. But you had a responsibility to tell him about it, and you wouldn't do it, so I'll require his blood at your hand, and I'll say, you should have done this, and you didn't. Notice as, as it goes on. It says, let me read it again. Oh, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. We all know that people are going to die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Then it says this, Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, and if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. You warned him, so that responsibility is off of you. You warned him. Verse 11, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? That's our responsibility. Tell people about Jesus, because the Lord says that we're going to stand to give an account of it before him. And then there's a couple more reasons I want to share with you. Because the, we should witness for Jesus, because the love of Christ constrains us to witness for him. The love of Christ constrains us to witness for him. The passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 20. Christ died that we might live through him, the Bible says. He died for all because all were dead in sins. And when he makes us alive, it's so that we will live for him. So Jesus died for you so that you could live for him. He reconciled us to himself and has given us the word of reconciliation, so therefore we are his ambassadors, telling people, be ye reconciled to God. God's love is to compel us to tell others about him. Jesus loved you so much, he died for you on the cross of Calvary. He loved you so much that he paid the price for you. Isn't that enough reason to tell other people he loves them as well? Isn't that enough re reason for you who live because Jesus died to live for him because he died for you? We should live for the Lord. Years ago in 1858, Frances Ridley Havergal visited Germany with her father who was getting treatment for his afflicted eyes. While in a pastor's home, she saw a picture of the crucifixion on the wall with the words in it, I did this for thee, what hast thou done for me? Quickly, she took a piece of paper and wrote a poem based on that, that motto. But she was not satisfied with it as she, after she wrote it, so she threw it into the fireplace. But something happened, either, you know, how sometimes a fireplace, a gust of wind will come down or something. But it blew that paper back out, and it wasn't burnt. And she looked at it again. Her father saw it, and he said, you know, you really need to publish that, because she'd written other songs. You really need to publish that. And so she did, and a man by the name of Philip Bliss put a tune to it, and it goes like this. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? That's the question. Should we be witnesses? Well, what did Jesus do for us? And we're not going to go to hell. We're going to go to heaven because he loved us so much. Another passage describes it, you know, that he who was rich became poor for you so that you through his poverty might be rich. You know Jesus. 
Shouldn't you tell other people about it because you love him so much? You say you love Jesus and never tell about him? That's disturbing. We should tell other people about Jesus Christ. And then there's one last reason I want to give you this morning. And that is we should witness for Jesus because God wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to be like him. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Where do we find that passage? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And it follows the account of Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a short, crooked, rich man. The reason I know he was crooked, because he was rich. And he was a tax collector. And the way tax collectors got rich was they were crooked. You know, the government said, you've got to collect this much from this, this person. As long as we get our part, the rest is up to you. So if they would pay uh, $30... The tax collector might come in and say, you owe $50. He'd give $30 to the government and pocket the rest. So he got rich. So he was a short, crooked, rich man. And this short, crooked, rich man, Jesus said, he was up in a tree so he could see Jesus. And Jesus said, come down. I'm going to your house today. And something happened when he went to the house. It doesn't tell us the conversation. But what happened was the Lord says, this day is salvation come to this house. Now he's a, he's a child of Abraham, in other words, a person of faith. And what happened was he was a changed man. He said, Lord, if I have cheated anybody, I'll pay them back fourfold. Now that's a changed person because he met Jesus. And then it says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. If we're going to be like Jesus, what were we going to be doing? One of the things we'll be doing is going and seeking people. Tell them about Jesus so that they can be saved. You see, the Lord says in Luke chapter 9, verse 56, For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. John chapter 4. You remember the account of the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. Samaritans weren't liked by the Jews. And also, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. So it was a mutual understanding, you know, they didn't like each other. Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Why are you going through Samaria? There was one reason, and it was a woman at a well. This woman had been married five times, you remember, and she was living now with a man who was not her husband, so she had an immoral life. And Jesus said, I am interested in her. I'm concerned about her. I must needs go through Samaria. And he went to the Sooth of Mary and he met that lady and he, calls, she, he asked for something to drink and she said, you know, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. We don't have anything to do with each other. Why are you asking me for a drink? And he says, if you'd ask me, I'll give you water so you never thirst again. She said, how can you give water? You don't even have anything to draw with. And then the conversation continued and she found out that this was the Messiah. This was the Savior. And she left her water pot. There's a message in that. You know, she left her water pot. And she went to tell people. Who did she tell? The men. The men knew this lady. And she went to tell the men. And they came back and they met Jesus and they came to know him as well. And they said, we didn't just do it because you told us. I mean, we hurt him ourselves. And so she trusted Jesus because Jesus was interested in her. He went out of his way. He says, I must go to go through Samaria. And then there's another account. It's found in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus was on the west side of the Galilee. And he said to his disciples, let us pass over onto the other side. And on that trip over to the other side, you remember what happened? A storm came up and Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they finally did all they could to save themselves. They came in and told the Lord, said, wake up, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus rose and rebuked the wind. I think reason he rebuked it because the devil was behind it. The devil didn't want Jesus to make that trip because he knew what was on the other side. And so Jesus rebuked the wind and it said, and it was peace, his peace be still. And it suddenly the wind stopped and the waves calm. I mean, it's supernatural. And then they went to the other side, and guess what they saw when they got to the other side? A man met them. We know him as the maniac of Gadara. I call him the worst-case scenario. 
the maniac of Gadara. He was, he ran around with no clothes on. He would cut himself. They chained him. He was so violent, they chained him. And the strength from those demons that possessed him, and there were legion of them, and a legion is at least 3,000. And those demons that possessed him made him so strong, he broke the chains. And everybody was afraid of him. But he met Jesus, and Jesus cast out the demons, put them into the swine. Swine went down into the lake and drowned. And the next thing we find is this man changed by Lord, the Lord Jesus. And they say if he was found clothed, he put on clothes, seated at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind. Worst case scenario, Jesus can save him. And it was on purpose. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And then right after he healed that guy and they wanted him to get out of there, guess what he did? He went back across the sea. The only reason he went over there was for that guy. He, he wanted them to be saved. See, we need to be like Jesus. We need to go tell people about him because he wants us to follow him. He wants us to be like him. In Matthew chapter, chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, it records it this way. If he's talking to Peter and Andrew, who were fishermen, he says, Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. You follow me and do what I do, and you will become a fisher of men. You see, fishermen have what it takes to catch fish. And that is, they have the right transportation. What's the transportation? Well, in those days, it was their feet. And then maybe they would get on a boat and go out. But they had transportation to get where the fish were. And then they had the equipment they needed. They had a brain that God gave them so they could figure out things. And some people are good fishermen because they've studied fish and they know about fishing. They know what fish like and what they don't like and what a certain kind likes and what a certain other kind likes. They know all those things. They know about depth and all that and water temperature and weather. A good fisherman knows those things. He has a brain that he uses. Uh, He also, this fisherman has uh, not only that, but he has also uh, tackle. And that is, he has the tackle that he needs. And uh, he needs... uh, uh, tackle of um, his course of his brain. Also, he needs the tackle of the equipment that he takes, a fishing pole and all those things. He needs that. And then he needs bait. And what's his bait? Well, it could be worms. It could be an artificial bait. Brother Mike gave me a little tackle box, you know, that signifies a fisher of man. And it's got these these uh, really neat, uh, uh, what do you call them, lures, but there's no hooks on it. And the reason for that is we don't need the hooks. We just need the gospel. We take people the gospel. Well, the fisherman has the hooks, and uh, his hook is the bait that he puts on it. And uh, he uses that bait to entice the fish to come. But in addition to that bait, he has a hook that he catches the fish. Well, the Lord says, I'll make you to be fishers of men. What's our transportation? Our feet. And we take the gospel. And the Lord says, how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel. What's our tackle? Well, our tackle is the uh, tackle that the Lord gives us. And that is, he gives us a brain to use, to memorize scripture and all that. He gives us what we need to take the gospel to the Lord, our abilities and all that. God gives us that. And he also gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what we really need. He gives us a mouth to say the gospel, and he gives the Holy Spirit with the power within us. So it's our equipment to share the gospel. And then what's the bait? The bait we use is the gospel. That's the bait. And we take them the gospel. We throw out the lifeline. We throw out the the bait of the gospel, and we tell them about Jesus. And uh, he wants them to believe that. That makes us a fisher of men as we go out to tell people about Jesus. But let me close with reminding you of something. The devil is also a fisherman. You see, he fishes for souls as well. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he, he walks about seeking whom he may devour. You see, he walks about just like the fisherman. 
He walks about seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says that he has snares. 2 Timothy 2.6. He has devices. 2 Corinthians 2.11. He has wiles. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. He uses all these things. And the Bible says that he walks about. You remember the account of Job? The Lord asked the devil, where have you been? What have you been doing? He said, I've been going to and fro and walking up and down in the earth, fishing for men. And so his tackle is the world, the flesh, and himself. You know, he's, he's the deceiver. And what's his bait? Sin. Oh, sin looks good. Sin's very attractive many times. Sin makes you think, well, I've got to have that. I'm hungry for that. And the the sin is so attractive. And the Lord says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But all of Satan's bait has something else on it. It has a hook. And his hook snares people. They take the bait and he's got them because he sets the hook. And it's so hard to get off of that hook. It's so hard. And the devil reels you in, and he's going to take you all the way to hell if he can. And he'll never take you out of his his box. He'll never do that because he wants you to go to hell because the Bible tells him he's going there. And he hates God who says that. And he wants to take everybody with him if, if he's going there. And so he wants to take you. And the devil's fishing for men. Well, let me tell you something. The devil never quits. He goes fishing every day. But the problem is, we Christians, sometimes we don't. We pass up opportunity after opportunity to fish for Jesus, and we won't do it. The devil says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trap these people. I'm going to snare these people. I'm going to deceive these people, and I'm going to make sure they go to hell. And we stand there as God's representatives, and the Lord says, now what are you going to do about it? And our response should be, Lord, I want to get in the game. I want to become a fisherman, and I want to tell people about Jesus Christ. You see, Christians, we are to be witnesses for Jesus. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us to share this message. Lord, I pray that it will sink down into our hearts, not only everyone who's here listening to me, but myself as well. Lord, I need this message as well as everyone else. Help us to keep in mind the reasons why we should be sharing the gospel, why we should be telling people about Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody here who has not trusted Jesus, help them to realize that they've been ensnared by the devil. He's got them hooked. He's got the hook set. And he wants to take them all the way to hell. But Lord, you can take them off that hook. You can save them today, but you're going to use us. You're going to use people to tell that person about Jesus. We've done that today, Lord. If if a person here is without Jesus, we've told them about you, that you died for them, that you, you, you was buried and you rose again the third day and you want to be their Savior. I pray that today they will trust you. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name.